Hello and welcome to my podcast. My name is Diego Ornelas Tapia and as always, I hope you're having a great goddamn day. So today I wanted to talk about the importance of traveling the world by giving a few examples shown in film and TV shows and by sharing how traveling has impacted my writing. So let's get right down to it, you guys. Ever since I was a teen, I was aware of the power traveling has on an individual. When I was back in high school, back when my goal was to become a film director, I would always picture myself roaming the streets of Italy, Paris, and Spain. I pictured myself not just having a good time, but also engaging with the people and learning something, something from them. Now, I'm already going off topic here, but such is the nature of these episodes. But I'm thinking of how complicated I can be. See, I've said it before in other podcasts, and I'll say it again. I'm an, ex- I'm an extremely private and reserved person. Most of the time when I'm out in public, I don't initiate conversations unless something or someone intrigues the living fuck out of me. If I'm at a, at a party, which is something I'd hardly fucking do, I won't be outgoing and I'll strike up a conversation with a stranger. Most of the time, I'll be in a dark corner, silently observing everything and everyone. But see, here's the thing. Put me in a setting that is unique and different, and I'll become more outgoing and lively. And the more unique the setting I'm in, the more different, the more willing I am to stri- strike up a conversation with a stranger. Now, there's an animated film made by DreamWorks that's called The Road to El, uh, the Road to El Dorado, which is one of my favorite films of all time, particularly because of the scene I'm about to talk about, I'm about to share. Anywho, the film follows the best friends Miguel and Tulio, two con men who have gotten hold of a map that leads to the fabled city of El Dorado. When Miguel and Tulio get to the city, the indigenous people of El Dorado claim them to be gods. Miguel and Tulio take full advantage of such a claim and make a plan to steal as much gold from them as possible that they can then take back to Spain and live as kings, right? So the plan... is it's to remain as distant from the people of El Dorado but, um, as much as possible. But see, there lies the pro- problem for Miguel, an adventurous and kind-hearted romantic. He can't remain distant. He cannot stay on the sidelines when a beautiful and magnificent, magnificent, uh, magnificent, ma- why <laughs> magnificent city is right before his eyes. So behind Tulio's back, he sneaks away from his temple and explores the city on his own. And on his adventure, he plays guitar for a group of children. He feeds some birds with a couple, and he plays ball with another group of children. And as he does all, all, all of this, he slowly falls in love with the people of El Dorado, with their culture, with their way of life. And you guys, whenever I see this scene, which is made even more beautiful because of Elton John's song, original song, just made specifically for the movie without question, you know, I can't help but think back to my travels. And well, here's the thing. I'm not much different from Miguel. We're both adventurous romantics. And though my romantic side remains dormant whenever I'm in the city, whenever I'm sheltered within the familiar my romantic side blossoms when I'm out roaming the world. And again, the more different the world, the more unique, the more willing I am to explore all this world has to offer. 
in my time in San Francisco, there were two days where I showed both my sheltered side and my romantic side. On my first day in San Francisco, I went on a hike in the Redwoods with a group led by a local guide. The group consisted of three people, all of them who were from a big city. And I think one of them was from New York, another one was from Sydney, Australia, which is, I think, the capital. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it was the capital of Australia, a big city. Okay, And because both of all, all, three, all three of these people were from a big city, because they were f from a world that I deemed so familiar, I didn't engage with them as much as I engaged with the people I met in my second group when I went on an urban hike through the city on my second day in San Francisco. And the people I met on my second day were from all over the world. A woman was from the Philippines, another was from Armenia, and a man was from Sweden. And see, here's the thing. They were born and lived in their respective country for a long time. Therefore, they had a strong connection with their home, with their culture. And I guess I somehow felt that connection and I felt at ease with them. I felt more willing to engage with them, and I did. I initiated a small conversation conversation with them before the hike started. Yes, it's just my romantic and adventurous side just comes to life whenever I travel. And again, the more fucking unique the world, the more different to the people, the more I blossom and engage with them. Fucking Christ, man. I can already picture all the adventures I'll go on and all the memories I create when I go down to a place like South America and engage with an indig indigenous tribe in the Amazon rainforest. Whew, traveling, man. It's just, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. And man, if you allow it, if you are open to it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if you're open to it, to traveling, and if you allow it, it can change your perspective on the world. You know, I like to think that everyone has a film they watch that lights up a fire within them that makes them want to travel. I used to know a guy back in high school who would always want, who would always, I'm sorry, watch the film Into the Wild. And after, after watching this film, he would then get the urge to go on a hiking adventure across the United States. Now, the urge to travel is great and all. But here's the issue I have with the film he chose with my with my buddy. Why well, he's not a buddy anymore? But this anyway. <laughs> here's here's the issue I had with with the film he chose. Into the Wild was interpreted by my friend as an inspiring film that should teach others the importance of traveling the world and getting to know oneself. But see, here's the thing: the movie isn't supposed to be inspiring. The film and its main character aren't supposed to be people you look up to because the main character, Christopher, was a fucking cocky and arrogant and stupid fucking asshole. He hurt the people close to him. He hurt strangers that saw him as a son. And what was the fuel that made him want to travel to Alaska? Why did he want to go on this voyage? Well, it's because he was running away from his problems back home. He was running away from his parents' divorce, which he never knew how to handle. He and he ran away because. He was unable to find peace within himself, and he thought, foolishly, that he could find the answer, that he would find his peace out in the wilderness of Alaska. <laughs> He's a fucking idiot, and guess what? He died like a fucking idiot. I don't give a fuck. Spoiler alert. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> anyway. Okay, I need to breathe. You know, if you listen to my episode where I share my thoughts on normal people, you'll know that I have a problem with, well, fucking idiots. 
Kano from Normal People was an idiot because of his issue with communication. And Christopher from Into the Wild was an idiot because he never took the time to have a real and honest conversation about all the issues he had with his life. He never took the time or made the real effort to make peace with a war raging within himself, which is kind of funny as I'm thinking about it now. And that's exactly how Christopher and the the, the buddy, I don't want to call him like an ex-buddy. That sounds weird. But the buddy I had in high school who fucking loved this film, the Christopher and that friend, they're so similar in that regard. They never took the time to make real effort with the war raging within themselves. And they both came from a family of from, from had to deal with divorce anyway it's just some little thought that popped up in my mind so okay that did went off on a tangent there but as i was saying before <laughs> i like to think that everyone has a film they watch that lights a fire within them that makes them want to travel my film would have to be the motorcycle diaries which is based off of the real life journal entries made by ernesto guevara so Ernesto decides to go off on a road trip with his buddy Alberto that will take them across South America. And the trip is supposed to be focused on pleasure since, after all, they're both young men at the ripe age of 23. I think it was 23. So because they're young, they, they want to dance, they want to drink, they want to fall in love with a beautiful woman and just experience all the beauty that love has to offer. Ernesto's journey begins in pleasure, but... The more he travels, the more cities he enters, the more he witnesses the inequalities and oppression caused by a wealthy industrialist. Towards the end of his journey, when he reaches a leper colony in Peru, Ernesto has become a different man. He lets go of pleasure, he lets go of comfort, and he sides with the sufferers and embarks on a different journey that will cement his name for the world to remember. Che. As I said before, traveling can change your perspective on the world. It changes your values, it changes your beliefs, and it makes you do things you never thought you could do before. I've given a real-life example with Ernesto, but this change in one's character has been seen time and time again in films and TV shows. The biggest shows and films that come to mind are Dances with Wolves and Avatar. In Dances with Wolves, a Civil War soldier, Lieutenant John Don, Don, Dunbar, I think, develops a relationship with a band of Lakota Indians like Miguel from El Dorado, slowly falls in love with the people of the city. John, too, falls in love with the, with the Lakota Indians. Soon, he's accepted into the tribe as one of their own. In James Cameron's Avatar, the film's plot follows the same format found in Dances with Wolves. We meet James Sully, a soldier who develops a relationship with the natives of the land, the Navi. Like Miguel, like John, Jake too slowly falls in love with the Navi, with their people, their culture, their values, their way of life. And when the lives of the Navi are endangered by the military he serves, Jake abandons his duty choosing instead to fight and even die for the Navi should it come to that. So these men, John, Jake, they changed because of the different lifestyle they embraced from another culture. A lifestyle that expanded their perspective on the world that they would have never experienced had they remained stagnant, had they chosen to continue their lives as a soldier. So I don't want to remain stagnant, you guys. Just like Che and Jake, and John, I want to embrace all sorts of lifestyles 
that all over, from all over the world. I didn't always have this mindset, though. In my past, when I was still in high school, the places I wanted to travel to were the, the fucking cliche places most pe- pe- people visit, which is I wanted to go to Spain, France, Italy. I wanted to stay within the biggest cities and gorge myself on the best food and see the sights that a thousand, no, fucking hundreds of thousands, millions of people before me have seen. P- sites like the Eiffel Tower and the uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa, probably fucked up that pronunciation anyway now look here's the thing so there's nothing wrong with these sites you know i still eventually far down the line in my life i i do eventually want to see all of these places but today today i'd like to venture to places not many people choose to go to places like antarctica and countries in the middle middle east like lebanon i want to go to unexplored sections of china and seek wisdom from the people living off the grid i want to stroll down to india and see firsthand the issues they endure each day issues tend to remind people of how just special and how grateful they should be that they have a roof over their head and they have access to clean water you know people today fucking bitch and milling way too fucking much man you just have to remind yourself of how precious you life is how how good you have it right now if again you have a roof over your head you have access to clean water you don't have to fucking survive like a fucking wild animal look over your shoulder every fucking second anyway (laughs) there's so many places to explore there's so much this world can teach us i just want to explore as much as i can within my lifetime so i can become a kinder and more understanding person and of course by traveling by learning I'll be able to become a better writer too. Reading can make you a better writer, without a doubt. Listening to the experience of others on a podcast can make you a better person. Yeah, of course. And while I may do these things, I truly believe in my heart that the best way to become a better writer is to travel. If I want to describe the beauty of, say, of uh, uh, an ancient temple in India, I can read a book and base my descriptions on what I read or I can travel to this temple and describe exactly what it is I see and what it is I feel. If I want to recount the aftermath of a natural disaster, I can listen to someone else's experience and base my, my prose on what the person said. Or I can actually go down and travel to a place that was affected by a natural disaster and recount what it is I saw, experienced, and felt firsthand from the horrors of such a disaster. Point being, the way I intend to approach my writing is the way a method actor would approach their craft. If a method actor wants to give his best possible performance of the struggles of an overweight person, he'll actually have to put on the pounds to experience just what that struggle feels like. And if I want to write the best possible fight scene I can, I'll have to learn how to fight and see what it is to feel, what it is to, what it feels like to be struck in the fucking face, dude. Now, of course, here's the thing: there are certain lines that I won't cross. If I want to write about a character who's a drug addict, I'm not gonna start going down to the sketchiest places and shooting up heroin, heroin, just so I can feel what, it, see what it feels like. No, hell no. I'll have to rely on research, and I'll have to interview and listen to people who have gone through that who ha- and who have bested their addiction. I just, again, I can't wait to see how much my writing improves once I start traveling more. 
For the book I'm working on right now, Void, which is the story of a man enduring three trials through space and time to try and bring his wife back from the dead, I had to rely on research, I had to listen to a lot of podcasts, and honestly, I had to rely on a hell of a lot of imagination as I brought to life two different cultures that were inspired inspired by real-life people from all over the world. Now, let me backtrack a little bit before I start talking about these two cultures. So, Void has three trials, and these three trials can be seen as their own separate story based off of one or two genres. The first trial is a fast-paced thriller. Second trial is a crime thriller that plays around with the vigilante trope a little bit since I created one character that kind of fuses Daredevil and the Punisher. Third trial is split into two parts. First part is a fast-paced action horror ride that combines fantasy elements seen in The Witcher. Second part is a slower ride that tackles questions on fate and truth and combines science fiction elements seen in Bioshock Infinite, which will... I don't know if I should say it now. I guess that's... If you're familiar with Bioshock Infinite, you know where that that can go. So I'll say no more. Now, the first part of the third trial is set on an island ruled by blood, sweat, and terror. And on this island is an indigenous tribe led by one of the chieftains, Neva. This tribe is called the Inya, and the Inya were primarily inspired by the Maya and have a few similarities between the Aztec and the Inca civilization. And besides these real-life cultures, I also based the Inya off of the Totraki, which is a group of people in George R.R. Martin's book, Game of Thrones. And the Dothraki, they were based off of the Mongols. Like the Dothraki, the Inya are warriors with long hair. The longer your hair, the higher of a rank you have, and the more fearsome of a warrior you are. Now, I won't talk about the plot for this trial, but I will talk about the feel of it. I mentioned that this trial is a fast-paced action-slash-horror ride, and as a source of inspiration to try and nail that suspenseful and horrifying feel, I base this feeling off of the Mel Gibson film Apocalypto. Apocalypto tells the story of Jaguar Par, a peaceful hunter from a remote tribe that ends up getting captured in a raid caused by the Mayan kingdom. Scheduled for a ritual sacrifice, Jaguar Par is able to make a daring escape in order to try and get back to his pregnant pregnant wife and his son. And this chase, he the chase he goes on is a fast-paced and suspenseful ride with little or no dialogue. This fast-paced and suspenseful suspenseful feeling in Apocalypto is no different from the first part of the third trial in Void. Neva and her people, the Inia, are the top predators near the shore of her island, an island inhabited by creatures that were inspired by African and Brazilian myths. One, one, of, one of those creatures is, I think it was called the Grutzlang. It, this was from African mythology. And the Grootslang is like a combination between like an elephant and a snake, a giant serpent. What else was there? There was Corpo Seco. This was from Brazilian mythology. Corpo Seco is legend is that he was a man that was so fucking evil in life that when he died, even the devil himself rejected him. It's like, no, I I ain't taking you, dude. You're going to just rot away for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity. And... I did base, there were, there were many depictions off of Corpo Seco, and the one that stuck with me was that I think Corpo Seco was a young boy, a teenager, 
And I, I like to think that teenager, teenage boys specifically can be quite very evil and because they're just they're they're just having fun and they're bored an example that comes to mind a real life example i remember reading watching seeing a story about three kids who killed a man yeah they were like on the freeway on a bridge on a freeway and they were just tossing rocks to the cars passing them by and they ended up killing a man a man who of course had a family had a wife when they tossed one of these rocks and when they were interviewed why did he do it they were just like dude i was just bored you know so kids teenage boys can be so fucking fucked up and i corpo seco at least my interpretation my my my, my yeah my, my my own take on it was corpo seco is a boy anyway there's uh, other creatures mythological creatures that again are based really on African and Brazilian uh, mythology. So anyway, back to I was telling about uh, a little bit about the, the feeling between Apocalypto, how tense it can be, and the feeling that that feeling is some, something I wanted to create in in the third trial with Neva and her people, the India. So the the India and Neva, they're the top predator near the shore of her island. And then I am inhabited by creatures that, again, were inspired by African and Brazilian myths. The deeper you head into the jungle, the more dangerous it becomes. Therefore, Neva has forbidden anyone to venture far from the shore. But when an outlander washes the sh on, her, on, on her shore, Neva is forced to head deep into the jungle. And in the jungle, Neva goes from being the hunter to the hunted. And the second part of the second trial... I'm sorry, the third trial, a void. Yeah, the third trial. There's a desert I named the Nihayat de Desert, which I based off of the Sahara Desert. And the Nihayat Desert is inhabited by three different people by real-life cultures around the world. So first, I'll talk about the kingdom of Ra and the kingdom of Amma, since the, these two cultures was loosely based on real-life people and required me to use a lot of imagination. So the people and the palaces of the kingdom of Ra and the kingdom of Amma are based off of Iran, Egypt, and Lebanon. The language they, be, they speak is based off of Arabic, and here's the wild card. The religion they practice is based off of Hinduism. See, Ra and Amma isn't just the name of the kingdom, it's the name of their gods. In Hinduism, there are three main, main gods that are linked to the, the, the creation, the maintenance and the destruction of the world. These are Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Using these three gods as my foundation, I created three my, my own three gods in my story that are called Amma, Ra, and Shivmir. Amma, like Brahma, can be seen as the creator and is represented by the moon. When she takes a mortal form, she takes the form of a woman, since a woman is the only being capable of bringing life to this world. Ra, like Vishnu, can be seen as the preserver and is represented by the sun. When he takes a mortal form, he takes the form of a man, since it takes a man to provide security and protection for others, something that is criticized by one of my characters in my books. So, like, if you're getting all worked up, if you truly believe that I think a woman cannot provide protection, relax, man, I do. Anywho. 
Shivmir, like Shiva, can be seen as a destroyer and is not represented by anything since Shivmir is simply a force of destruction that is neither good nor evil. The way Shivmir is seen in my book is as a force that is needed to bring balance to the world. Like Ra's al Ghul said to Bruce in Batman Begins, when a forest grows too wild, a purging fire is ine inevitable. The purging fire can be seen as Shivmir restoring balance to the forest that has grown out of control. Anywho, there's still one group of people that reside in the Nihayat Desert, and these people are, are called the Udateg, which is which are strongly inspired by the real-life people. I'm probably butchering the name here. The, I, I know I am. I remember hearing it pronounced differently, but anyway, this is how I pronounce it. Apologies for getting it wrong. Uh, the real-life people, they're called the Tuareg. Like the Tuareg, the Udateg uh, are nomads who roam the desert with their herd of camels and use trade as a means to make a living. Unlike their cousins from the kingdom of Ra and Ama, the women from the Udateg have power and freedom to do as they please. They can marry whoever they want to marry, and divorce isn't a shameful word to be whispered like it is in the kingdom of Ra and Ama. The Udateg society is matrilineal, and they don't worship Ra, Ama, or Shivmir. Instead, they worship and pray to their ancestor, ancestors, to the woman that roamed the desert before them. Anywho, I know I went off topic there for a little bit, but these cultures I created, the Udateg, the Inya, the kingdoms of Ra and Ama, I think, I hope, I hope that I did a good job bringing them to life. No, you know, honestly, I think I, I'm pretty sure I did. I did the best I could do with my research. And again, it really, it was a whole lot of imagination, which I handled with a ton of care and passion. But see, here's the thing. I just know that I can do an even better job when I actually travel to, like, say, Lebanon, Egypt, Iran, South America, Brazil. When I actually get to meet with the people and share a meal as they tell me their stories, my God, you know, my writing is just going to improve so much and it's just going to be so freaking great, man. Anywho, that's it for today, folks. If there's one great way of ending this episode, it's by sharing a quote said by Uncle Iroh from Avatar, The Last Airbender, which is my favorite television show of all time that I'll continue to watch until I die because it's just so unique and has so many amazing quotes of wisdom like the one I'm about to share. It's, it's a show that deserves to have, be bigger than really Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, what else is Star Wars? I hate Star Wars. <laughs> I know I talk about it. I've used it as an example for my podcast a lot, but yeah, I just... It, Star Wars, Harry Potter, they don't deserve to have the recognition that Avatar The Last Airbender does. My God, it's so unique. Those fight scenes are really based off of like real martial arts. Anyway, I could go off on that, but here's a quote to end it that it's a good way of ending this episode. So it was said by Uncle Iroh. Here it is. It is important to draw wisdom from many different places. If we take it from only one place, it becomes rigid and stale. Understanding others, the other elements, and the other nations will help you become whole. So what does this quote mean? What is it trying to tell us? It's telling us to try to be open and to understand others. It's telling us that the only way to do this is by getting out of your comfort zone, by getting out of away from the familiar, from our home, and by exploring and traveling the world around us. 
you live your whole life in one city, you blind yourself to the beauty residing a few miles away from you. If you live your whole life by the values of a conservative, you miss out on the enlightenment someone across the world can teach you. Don't remain stagnant, you guys. Don't live, you live your life, entire life in one, only one place. Don't limit yourself to just one way of thinking. Expand it. Travel. Grow. By doing this, by traveling, by expanding your mind and understanding others, you'll change and grow in ways you never thought possible. So, what are you waiting for? Take the leap and explore the world. As always, thank you for listening. It really means the world. I have probably two or three more episodes lined up that I'll be releasing uh, every week up until then, up until like late October or early November. Uh, that's going to end. Probably stay with one episode a month. But anyway, I'll probably see you guys next week. And until then, I wish you nothing but the best, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you.